0: Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 24. If we run out of stockpiled grass in the wintertime, um, we're just, we're going to sell some cows. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. I'm Cal Hartage, your host of the Grazing Grass Podcast. And on today's episode, we have Austin Troyer of Crossroads Land and Livestock. Austin and his wife are first-generation farmers. Austin started out by working on a ranch, and he worked there for a number of years till he was able to find his own land to lease and start his own ranch. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Let's talk to Austin. Austin, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here. Thank you, Cal. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm, I'm excited as well. Wonderful. Can you tell us about yourself and your operation?
1: Sure. My name is Austin Troyer. I'm I'm 28 years old. Um, I'm married to a beautiful wife named Maggie, and I have an 18 month old son, Harrison. Um, and we are first generation farmers or, or ranchers um, in East Central Ohio. I guess my journey to get started here. I I was uh, I graduated high school and uh, thought about going to college, and we just wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do and didn't have the money necessarily to go to college and didn't really like the idea of a bunch of student loans and just wasn't quite sure about it so I decided instead of going to school just to take a job on a farm in Southern Ohio and ended up being a really neat operation. It's called Ohio Land and Cattle. Um, They have an awesome website and they're still a really cool ranch, a really neat operation and they taught me a lot. I worked for them for a couple years and an opportunity came up to another ranch um, in that area. And that ranch is one of the largest ranches in Ohio. They're, it's a really neat operation. They're running over 2,000 cows. I uh, worked for them for the last eight years um, before I went on my own. And uh, th- it was it was a really neat opportunity. Um, it was a really cool environment to learn in. Those people taught me basically everything I know about the cattle industry, um, livestock production, um, animal health. I, owe it all to those two ranches and they were kind of instrumental in, I guess, me developing our ranch here. And I, I was honest with those folks. I told them from the beginning, you know, my dream is to go on my own and I want to try to find a lease. And they were like, great, let us help you do it. Um, so I was working for them for, uh, for a total of 10 years between the two ranches. And, uh, I spent the last five years while I was there really, really looking for a lease. Um, I enjoyed what I did, um, but I just always dreamed of being on my own and uh, being my own boss.
0: Oh, yes. Now, jumping back to your ranch, when you started on that first ranch, did you have any experience with livestock at that point?
1: I didn't know the difference between a cow and a heifer. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) I didn't know anything. No, it was was an eye-opening experience, and I, I... All I knew is that I did not like construction work, which is all I had ever done. And the cows were a lot more fun. So (laughs) I learned a ton the first year. I'll put it that way.
0: (laughs) Oh, I imagine so. You know, it's funny how that uh, you've done, you had done construction work. So you knew you didn't want to do that. Um, Growing up, I grew up on a farm. And for some reason, I thought that's what I wanted to do. My brother thought... Uh, no more ever, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny
0: so so you go to that ranch. you don't know much about livestock at that point. Uh, were they doing uh, any regenerative practices or were they more of a traditional ranch? um they they were doing the best they could
1: it, it, It's a really okay. neat area um, it's it's all strip mine country and oh, okay. Uh, there's some really big limitations when it comes to, uh, if you want to call it mob grazing or intensive grazing, uh, mostly with just the topography of the land. Um, there's some really rough country, and then water. Water was, I mean, it was limited to everything. I mean, you'd have oh, you yes. know 600 acre field with, you know, a little spring in a corner, and so it was really hard to get animal impact on the far sides of those oh, fields. Yes so they they did really well i thought um they they kept all their cows in one group and rotated as best they could Um, i don't know that i would call it intensive grazing it was more of of a traditional rotational grazing you know moving cows maybe every two weeks um bigger bigger fields um but it was pretty it was pretty good compared to most and and with the the limiting factors it was i i was impressed with it I, i thought it was really neat
0: Oh, yes. So you worked there a couple of years, then you moved to the other ranch. How was it set up?
1: Yeah, they were actually uh, business partners and they bought a ranch together and I ended up taking care of it. So I, I didn't. Oh, oh, I, yes. I, it was kind of a transition. Um, oh, OK. Yes. And it was It they presented me with a really neat opportunity. They they let me run cattle in with theirs as my pay. Oh, yes. So I didn't take a salary. um, I just, I was able to run a hundred cows so I could, I could, I had to buy and pay for them, but I could bring them there. I could run them there and they paid all my bills, but I didn't take a salary. So that was the hard part was trying to make a living Uh, with one paycheck a year. Basically. Yeah. So that
0: that would be, but that's a pretty big opportunity. Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: Yeah. It just, it's so hard to get started today without an opportunity like that so i i'm really thankful for those people that were put in my life and they they really gave me a start in this business so i owe them a lot yeah
0: yes that's that's a a really good circumstance i don't know if other ranches do that or not i'm not familiar enough with it but yeah that was great so you yeah. started looking for uh lease land a number of years ago and how'd that search go
1: uh it it was extremely frustrating um in the beginning there's these there's these places i would go look at and find and it was all strip mine country and there would be you know a couple thousand acres strung together that was just sitting empty and i would contact the coal company and i'd call people and i would email i drove to their office one time and nobody would return your call um they just they had they were such a big company they didn't want to mess with me. (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't pay them enough to be on it. And they didn't want to mess with the liability and they didn't even want to listen to me. So it was very frustrating. Um, it took five years till I finally found the right place. Um, it was about an hour from where I was working at the time. And, um, I called the landowners, Oh, probably four or five times without any response. And then, just randomly, about a month after my last phone call, they called me back. I don't really know why. Um, oh, maybe yes. it was meant to be. <laughs> and since yeah. then, it's it's been great. They, they've been an awesome company to work with. Um, they love what we're doing. We're kind of taking care of their ground. Um, they have a lot of problems with trespassing um, with other, especially during deer season. A lot of guys come in and hunt their property without oh, yes. them knowing it. And they also, they own so much land. It's it's hard to police it for them. So having me there with the fence up now and keep kind of keeping an eye on the place has that's been a big value to them probably even more so than what i'm able to pay them in rent Um, so it's kind of it's been a really good relationship ever since then So very
0: good how many acres do you have leased there
1: uh this year we added a couple pieces and we're up to 4200 acres oh wow yeah it's it's uh it sounds like a lot um but for, uh, for Ohio, anyway, it, it sounds like a lot, but it's, it's some pretty rough stuff. Um, it's pretty poor, um, there, there's really limited soil. Um, you know, It's all been basically flipped upside down when they mined it right. and put back. And when did they mine it? Um, the last piece that they finished mining was finished last year, in 2020. Um, the oh, reclamation okay. was started. But then and other pieces you... were mined in the 80s. So some of it's oh, old okay. and some of it's new.
0: Yeah. We have fair amount of coal mining around here, which some of the land was mined probably in the 70s, and it's just awful. I mean, there's pile of rocks out there. And then, I don't know, uh, 80s or 90s, the reclaim reclamation of the land after they dug it was much better. And that land is at least put back in looks like it's usable even if they didn't get the topsoil exactly where it should be however the the newer land they're doing um that's just finished recently it's in pretty good shape outside of they'll you know, making a big hill there
1: yeah you, i have the exact same experience here we have some farms that still have the old high walls that run through them oh uh, yeah. still have piles of shale and piles of the the, the coal that they left um and it's it's really poor but then we also have stuff that they finished last year that's you're right they did a fairly good job and i think the regulations are are a little more strict now they they can't leave those high walls and stuff like that and they have to grow so many tons of grass or tons of forage um nowadays so yeah it's getting better it's getting better for sure
0: so after all your searching you get this land lease what's your process to get started there
1: um, again this is where the the ranches I worked on came into play um, they were they were great people they they just said hey you know you found this ground here's a tractor with a post driver and a front-end loader um, you can rent it from us I obviously had it for a month and I went around and I bought four semi loads of fence posts a wooden oh wow. posts, and just went and put all my posts in um, and it's been that way I've borrowed bulldozer i've borrowed an excavator i've borrowed um skid loaders trucks and trailers everything uh, and i just pay them a fair rent for it um so that's been it's been absolutely crucial for me and and, uh, been really really nice um i just to give you an idea of how much fence we've built um over the last two and a half years my wife and i have built 72 miles of fence Um, so i've used a lot of their equipment (laughs) and you're still together believe it or not we are (laughs) that's a lot of fence yes yeah and she i should also mention she was pregnant for a bunch of that so she's uh she's a trooper she's awesome i couldn't do this without her
0: (laughs) and and just to give her a shout out she did help you get this all set up so we could hear you on the podcast absolutely i you would be listening (laughs) to nothing without her (laughs) So what kind of fence did you put
1: up? We've built so much. I, I say 72 miles, but that includes a lot of one-strand, two-strand electric. Oh, okay. Some of your interior
0: um, fences as well.
1: Yeah, and, and even all of our exteriors are just two-strands. Um, oh, we've built yeah. so much. Uh, we're, we're in a pretty remote area. Um, if I do have cows out or sheep out, um, it's not like they're running down a, a, you know, a highway. They're We're pretty oh, isolated yeah. here, and, and a lot of our— Perimeter fences just border other chunks of woods or neighbor's farms, and it's not a oh, huge okay. deal. So we have a pretty limited fence, um, but we almost have to just to, to make it cost-effective. Um, wow. There's no way we could afford to build a woven wire or something like that.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, the, the cost would be astronomical. So you did a two-strand high-tinsel wire?
1: That's what we started with. For your... yes yes and that that was originally for our cows and then uh once we got into the sheep business we were worried about the sheep getting out of that um and really it hasn't been an issue um we've we've kept it two strands we've added some three strands when we were training them to electric um, but we've kept them in all winter um, with two strands and actually quite a bit of one strand perimeter fence as well on some steep areas where it's hard to get to and there's just woods above them Oh, they yes. just don't pressure it so we 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 kind of take the approach we're going to put them in there and if they get out we'll improve the fence so we're kind of flirting with danger a little right. bit there but uh, we can get away with it where we're at
0: well i'll be perfectly honest our our perimeter fence most of us five wire bob wire and we have a few a little bit of field wire um I was very fearful when we got the sheep that a barbed wire fence wouldn't hold them, and I only ran them where I had field wire, and it just wasn't enough ground, and it's too expensive to go put more in, so I started grazing them on the other pastures I have, and amazingly, they don't go, th- go out by perimeter fence. Um, now I haven't got my sheep trained to electric fence, and I need to, uh, to do that. And they will go through some of my interior fences, which doesn't really bother me. But I'm just amazed that they don't leave the perimeter fence. But they, they've they been really good about that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that's we, we deal with a, a lot of that as well. There's a there's every now and then where, you know, we do have a couple sheep that will get out of our perimeter fence. Um, but they're such flock animals that they just come right back. Oh, yes. So it's hard to justify you know, putting a ton of, of capital into a,
0: a heavier fence when it's really not hurting anything. <laughs> right. Yes. No, I completely agree with that. So you, you got this lease and you started putting up fences.
1: Yeah, we, we got the lease. We, we got it all fenced. Uh, we fenced it in, you know, kind of as we went, um, I fenced a couple hundred acres and brought our cows up here. And then that winter, it was just a matter of getting fence built in front of the cows. Um, we started i think we brought 250 cows um so they were eating quite a bit of grass but that luckily the lease was empty before we got it so it was basically stockpiled grass oh yes it was a little mature it was a little rank um but the cows still did fine on it it was just they were they were uh they weren't due to calve until may so they were oh yes pretty you know they were early bred um so they weren't their maintenance requirements weren't super high at the time so they did really well on it um and yeah we just kept building fence and kept um oh yes kept moving cows until we ran out and then we built some more fence yes we're finally at the point now where we have all of our perimeter fences up and we're kind of going back now and dividing it up and really improving our our grazing and our management um as we get you know the the cash to do it um and i guess the time it's been kind of crazy the last couple years um We finally have a a farm manager we just hired about a month ago. So that's made a huge difference already, um, to have some help. So that's working really, really well. Oh yes. We kind of, we kind of call ourselves a a low input operation. We don't have any equipment. Um, the only thing we have is two four wheelers and a pickup truck. Oh yes. Um, I don't have a tractor. Um, I don't feed any hay. Um, if, if we run out of stockpiled grass in the wintertime, um, we're just, we're going to sell some cows. Oh, I imagine so. And it, it. it might not be the yes. the best situation for everybody, but it's just what's worked for us. I, I really hate to invest a bunch of money into equipment that's gonna depreciate. So we've just tried to keep our, our money into working capital for the cows and as we grow and over time there might be a place for for a tractor and, and we could have we could probably run a couple more cows if we were willing to have some hay, but just trying to haul hay and feed hay and, and all that stuff, logistically for us it's just not economically possible right now. I shouldn't say it's economically possible. It's it's not economically beneficial for us. So we we just basically take what we have here and, and try to get the cows through the wintertime on it and adjust our stocking rate accordingly to it. And like I said with forty two hundred acres, uh, we're able to do that fairly well. Our farm split up a little bit, but for the most part we can we can move cows from farm to farm just by walking them down the roads. There's there's one farm that's a little bit further that will we'll haul cows to. Um, and uh yeah it, it, it works well it's it's we're we're blessed with a bunch of fescue in this area that we can winter cows on it stays green really well for us and that's kind of our our biggest obstacle is just winter feed without a tractor and so um adjusting our stocking rate has been the biggest thing for us so far
0: you bring up a a really important point there I see a lot of beginning farmers buy a few cows and they immediately decide they need a tractor. And that's a lot of money tied up into something that's going to depreciate and something that's not producing any income for you. Now, that's not saying my business model is the right one for everyone. Everyone's got their own circumstances, but that's something I see quite often.
1: Yeah, it is. And and that's what was challenging to me was... Everybody in this area has, you know, woven wire fences and a brand new tractor and they feed hay or they feed corn silage. And coming from that point of view where it's, it's pretty different. And I think that learning from those two ranches that I worked on that you can take cows through winter without any hay. Like, I, I didn't know you could do that. Just understanding that you don't have to be a high input producer um, has really made a huge difference for
0: us. Oh, yes. Now, you mentioned your fescue there. What other grasses are you grazing? Um,
1: The main grasses, I mean, fescue, I I love and I hate fescue. I hate it in the summertime. It's so hard to keep it from going to seed.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is. Cattle
1: don't finish well on it at all. It gives a, in my opinion, it gives the meat off flavor. But we have a lot of orchard grass. We have a lot of brome, a lot of timothy are our main grasses. And then legumes, we have clover. Um, We have a lot of sweet clover, um, crown vetch and hairy vetch. And then whenever they reclaim the mines, they typically plant alfalfa oh, okay. um, and that lasts a couple of years, but it kind of fades out. It's not super native to this area, especially to the strip mine once they're done. So it, it, they plant it and it does well for a couple of years, but it just seems to go away. And, the, and the, the more native legumes come back a lot quicker, like the clover and, the, and especially the crown vet. That's probably our
0: oh, yes. dominant legume. On the reclaimed land around here, they're not doing any alfalfa in our area, but one of the... In addition to the other species you mentioned, we get a lot of Cerisa uh, lespedeza put out on the reclaimed land.
1: Really? Okay. We we have it. It's showing up as an invasive species here. Our sheep are, oh, yes. are loving it, um, but our, our cows don't seem to touch it very much. Um, <laughs> yes. Just, it's part of the reason between Cerisa lespedeza and uh, the autumn olive, that's the reason we got our sheep. So, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, we, we, we're fighting those two pretty hard here.
0: We have a a fair amount of cerisa on our place you're right once it gets any kind of size it gets too woody and the cows don't want to eat it but it it's got some really good qualities for sheep they just don't produce as many parasite eggs when they're grazing Cerisa depresses it
1: yeah yeah and our sheep are they're out there um last week i was out there watching them and there's just a little bit in the field that they were in and it's just a brown dry stem right now
0: and they were still eating it Oh, yeah. So
1: I yeah, there's definitely some benefits there
0: now before we we jump to your sheep and find out when you added those to your operation. What did you do for watering?
1: Um, we're just letting them water out of the, the ponds and the streams right now, um, which isn't necessarily the best practice. It's what we got and it's We're working on it as we go. Um, we're actually drawing a water system right now. Actually, it's it's four different water systems put together. Um, it, it's over 60,000 feet of pipe. And we're working on a proposal with our landowners um, to take it to them and just see if this is something that they're willing to help us install. It's it's hard to justify putting that kind of infrastructure into somebody else's property. Um, So our landowners have been great to work with. They love what we're doing. Um, so I'm going to approach them with a little bit of a proposal, uh, maybe even have them or ask, ask them to forgive part of our lease or something like that in exchange for us putting this infrastructure into their property. Oh, yeah. Because um, that's really the limiting factor in, in everything here is just it's hard to really get animal impact when you don't have water. So that's that's what's preventing us and controlling our rotations or how fast they are, our, our you know, the size of our
0: paddock, everything here is related back to water. Oh, yes. How often are you you moving your cattle?
1: Right now, it's, it's about once a week on average. Oh, yes. um, we basically start with a grazing chart and just decide our recovery periods. And then we have maps that we have all our fields numbered, and we just go through and create a 60-day rotate, or whatever our recovery is. If it's in the springtime, it'll maybe 30 or 45 days, and then... In the summer, it goes to 60, then into 90. And if we get really dry, it'll go to 120. And we just plan out our grazing according to that and use the fields that we have and what we've got now. And so it ends up being um, about once a week, probably on average during the growing season. Um, And then in the wintertime, it changes. Um, In the past, we've just been able to take our stockpile kind of in one pass, um, which isn't, I don't think is the most efficient way to harvest it. There's so much variation between... Quality when you, when you put the animals in there, they're getting the best stuff. And then as time goes on, the protein and the energy just slowly drops out of it. And by right. the end of a, a two week rotation, they're on really low quality feed. Then you jump them way back up, and the rumen is constantly trying to chase oh, that yes. variation in, in energy and protein. So, But in the past, we haven't really had a choice. We were building fence ahead of the cows and, and we were trying to get them, I guess, just get them onto new grass but um, we're going to try something different i think this coming winter we're going to take it in two passes Um, the first pass we're going to go through and just take the best stuff and probably you could say 50 percent of it and then on the second pass um, we're going to come through and depending on how much rain we get in the fall and how much stockpile is left we might even supplement with a little bit of i'm going to say it's it's a rumen stimulant something like corn gluten something to feed the bacteria in the room and just a little bit to make them a little bit more efficient oh, yes. on the roughage that's left for the second pass. Um, it's something we're going to try. I've, I've heard of a couple guys that do it and I've talked to them, um, and they've had really good results. So we're going to see if that doesn't, I guess, extend our stockpile a little bit further this oh, yes. year and just try it. it. It's, it's, uh, I mean, 80% of our cost is keeping animals through the winter. So any, anything that we can do to extend our stockpile is is crucial for us oh, especially yes. with no hay and stuff like that right so.
0: yes you got your cattle going you got your paddocks going and at a certain point you decided to add sheep you kind of mentioned a while ago adding them when did you decide to add sheep and how's that going
1: um we got the sheep in 2019 um we actually bought uh 60 ewes from greg oh, judy yes. and uh just to try it i was to be honest, pretty intimidated about keeping them in a fence and, and kind of didn't want to do it. And my wife said, no, we're going to we're gonna do this. And uh, she's, she really kept me on track there and uh, ended up falling in love with the sheep. I, I swore I would never own one. And uh, now that I have them, I absolutely love them. We did really well lambing last year. Or I should say we did okay lambing last year. We, we had 60 ewes. We ended up with 60 oh, yes. lambs. Um, and so they, it was pretty good for us and not knowing what we're doing. Um, And then we ended up buying some more. We bought another 120 from Greg um, this past year and then um, Have just over the last couple years seeing the economics behind the sheep and how much they're able to utilize our steep country and our invasive species and um, They they just we think they're a better fit here for us than our cattle. Um, I think we'll always have a combination We really enjoy the cattle Um, So I don't want to get rid of my cows, but I think the sheep Are more productive on our ranch than um, than the cows are so we're gonna we're gonna expand some more we've actually we bought a load of a semi load of sheep um, from a producer out west um, for this fall so we've got another 580 coming this fall so we should be should be around 900 ewes by the end of the year so we're we're kind of jumping in with both feet on the sheep (laughs) It's, it's been really fun, and we really enjoyed them and uh, just decided that they, they're they going to be a really good fit here. So we're going to we're gonna pursue them, and, and we're probably going to have to sell some of our cows to make room for that many, um, but we're okay doing that. Oh,
0: yes. Now, the sheep you're getting, uh, we didn't talk about this with cattle, so we'll have to talk about it with cattle. Uh, you mentioned you got the original sheep from Greg Judy, and I think he's running um codlin and st croix cross just some some commercial hair sheep that he's kind of got the breeding that he likes what kind of sheep are you getting in from the west they're dorpers oh okay
1: um i don't necessarily prefer katans or st croix or dorpers i to be honest i i mean i i can know the difference between them but i'm not choosing Dorpers because I think they're any better. Um, they're just what was available in semi-load. Oh, yes. And I, f- I found them from a producer that's not worming them. Um, and that was the biggest thing. I didn't oh, yes. I didn't want to buy them from somebody who was, you know, drenching them all the time. So trying to find a oh. large load like that was pretty tough. Um, and talked to a really got nice guy out there and found, found a cool producer. Um, so they're different than what we have. And, and we're still trying to sort through what we're going to breed to in the future. Are we going to go towards the Dorpers? or stay with kind of the hardier the uh, maybe Katahdin's or St. Croix. Oh, yes. So we're kind of kind of see how it goes and see how they do first before we decide, you know, what, what to breed them to. Oh, yes. And then we've also got the guardian dogs in with them as well. And I was really nervous about the guardian dogs. And um, they've just been, they're like my favorite thing on the farm. <laughs> oh, yes. They're just, they're a ton of fun. Um, our male actually killed a coyote last year, uh, which was really cool. Um, I, I take him some meat scraps, uh, uh, once or twice a week. Oh yes. I took him a big, it was a big, uh, leg bone, had a little bit of meat on it. And I, I went up to him and he went running up in the woods and drug down this coyote that he had killed. Um, oh, yes. and like he was trying to show me it, what he, what he had done. And then he wanted his, oh, his yes. meat scraps. So it was pretty neat.
0: Very good. You know, they're working then. Uh, what kind of livestock guardian dogs do you have?
1: Uh, we have Merima's, um, I, the, the male that I'm referring to, uh, I got him, from greg from greg judy oh, um yes. when i got the, the original use um and since then we've got we now have four dogs and the other three are uh they're purebred marimas um and they've been awesome as well um they they're they just bark like crazy we we, we moved the sheep past our house <laughs> in december and it was a long night because they just bark and bark, oh, and, bark yes. and bark it, it was I never realized how much they work at night. It it seems during the day they can seem kind of lazy, but man, having them outside my back door, it was, I was impressed at how much they
0: barked. Oh yeah. They, they keep that bark going all night. You, it takes you a little bit to get used to it. It does. Yeah. (laughs) It was a
1: sleepless night.
0: (laughs) Uh, We didn't talk about this with your cattle. What breed of cattle are you using?
1: Um, We've got a little bit of everything. Um, we're using South Pole bulls right now on uh, Red Angus, Black Angus. We've got some Red Devons. Um, we've got some Semi Angus cows. And and I I'm not a guy that's huge on one breed is better better than the next. Uh, I've seen some really yes. really good Angus cows, and I've seen some really really bad Angus cows. And I can say that for about every breed that I've seen. I would agree. Um, I just think the right type is way more important to me than the breed. I know Poles are kind of, there's a lot of hype about them right now. And I think they're great cattle. Um, I don't think they're God's gift to the cattle business. Um, But we found a set of South Pole bulls we really, really liked. Um, They were from Ralph Voss um, in central Missouri there. And uh, they they were, I went and spent some time with Ralph and looked at his cow herd. And that's, if I could write out what what my cows to look like, he had it. Um, they were just, they were 1,000 to 1,200 pounds. They were in great shape. Um, he wasn't feeding a lot of supplements. Um, they, and they were super quiet and raising really nice calves. So we went with them. Um, I, I bought in the, in the last two years, have bought 15 bulls from him um, to breed our cows too. Um, just to, and I just really liked his genetics. And that's kind of the direction I wanted to go. It just happened to be South Pole's. Um, and we've done really well with them. We're not necessarily in a hot environment, so they're, you know, the heat tolerance, um, it does help us here in the summertime, um, but it's probably not as important to
0: us as it is to some who have South Poles. Um, but they're doing really well oh, here. Yes. Have you planted any grasses, or are you just working with what's already there? Uh, right
1: now, we're just working with what's here. Um, it's kind of on our the back of our agenda. I would love to try some cover crops um, just to try to increase, you know, like our water infiltration and uh, maybe even some, some winter forage that would be really beneficial for us, but we just haven't had the time and the, and the finances to really go try it, to be honest with you. Um, so maybe that's in our future, oh, maybe yes. not. We're just, it hasn't been a priority right now, so so maybe someday.
0: One thing you, you talked about, all these ewes you're going to have and your cow herd, how are you marketing them or marketing the calves and lambs? um the calves
1: we've gone a couple different routes we have a direct to consumer market here my wife actually has a business called farm and table and uh, we have a, a shipping department here on the farm where we have a walk-in freezer and we're shipping those products um, we can ship them anywhere in the country we also do oh, some good. pastured pork um, it's not a, we, we have our neighbors actually help us with it we don't do it, i don't do a ton of it um, and they're going to raise all our pigs for us this year so we sell pork and lamb and beef online Um, And then my wife also, as as well as that on farm and table, she also sells a bunch of other small businesses. Um, Like she works with the local beekeeper and sells their honey. Um, And she works with the local spice company and they make us a steak seasoning and a burger seasoning and stuff like that. So there's about, there's probably 30 products that she does um, with other local businesses. And uh, it all kind of comes back to our website and we try to drive our sales through working with other local businesses.
0: Oh, yes. Very good. Now, is that market big enough to handle all the calves you're producing? Um,
1: <laughs> I wish it was. Um, no. It, <laughs> right. That'd be pretty yeah, good. Yeah. W- those margins would be great. Um, it's not. We, we've been selling, last couple of years, um, we've been selling steers to, to get grass fed producers, um, just guys that are wanting to finish grass fed beef. Um, we've sold, we typically oh, yeah. just sell them by the semi load. We'll sell. Um, semi-load of steers and a semi-load of heifers. And then we, we've actually been keeping a lot of our heifers as well. So we haven't sold a ton of those um, just to get a little bit more of the South Pole influence here. Oh, yes. Ultimately, we want to sell seed stock is where, where we want to go. Um, it just, it's going to take us a little bit to get our genetics to where I want them before I want to um, really put my name on them and say these are my animals that I'm producing. Oh, yes. Um, so our genetics aren't perfect yet, but we're we're working on that and trying to develop a seed stock market. Um, and it's kind of similar for the sheep. Um, we're direct marketing some of those, but it's pretty limited, um, especially with the the, the scale we're going to be on with the ewes. Again, we want to try and sell a lot of seed stock there. But we're we're in a pretty good area. We've got a couple really good sale barns um, close to us. Mount Hope, Ohio, is one of the biggest ones in the east. And then they sell usually two or 3,000 sheep a, a week. Um, and they've got really, really good prices right now. And then we're not too far from a lot of the east coast cities like philadelphia and new york and dc so there's a lot of buyers that come to mount hope and will buy semi loads of ewes Um, and i've got a couple of those contacts and instead of going through the sale barn um, i'm kind of just going straight to those guys once we have our our scale um established oh yeah. so it's going to be wholesale which i i'm not a huge fan of but at some point you kind of have to when you when you scale up pretty high
0: right you can't or i i really shouldn't say you can't It's difficult to sell at retail level everything you're producing. It is. Especially if you're growing at the rate you're growing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's been a struggle for us is trying to balance our time with, you know, with the retail business and then um, just the family and the amount of work we have here. And uh, we're just trying to figure the marketing out. I I never would have realized or I never would have dreamed that the marketing is harder for us than the production. Um, it's, It's way more of a it's a way bigger part of our business than I thought it would be. Um, It's, I never realized that, you know, just being in construction, you just keep your head down and working. And and then, you know, when you get into running your own business, it's like the fun parts, the production, it's the lambing and the calving and moving cows, but right. Yes, it is. The important part has to follow with the marketing too. All all that doesn't do you very good if you can't sell it. Um, That was a big shocker for us was (laughs) that how difficult the marketing,
0: marketing and how important the marketing was. So you mentioned the marketing there. What other challenges have you faced upon your, your farm?
1: Um, I think marketing is is probably one of the biggest ones. Um, And then just in the past when we're dealing with the up and down in the markets, like when we're selling semi loads of calves, um, we got into this. I got into the cattle business in 2014 and 2015 and 16 were great. And then everything kind of fell down after that. And just learning that there could be that much variation in your income from year to year, it was it was frustrating because you were working so hard, but you took a forty percent pay cut from 2015 to 2017, and it it just didn't it didn't seem (laughs) like it was worth it at times. And it's been really hard, and that's why we're focusing so much on the other kinds of marketing, like the seed stock and the direct to consumer, because you can control those and they're a lot more stable than the wholesale outlets. So that's probably been the biggest challenge um the production has its challenges as well i mean the water is is <laughs> it's everything i wish we had water systems everywhere and we could move gals all over the place but um we'll get there someday we just got to take it
0: slow and and build it from the ground up very good and and as you keep working on those challenges um, as you get better with those new ones will show up so there's always challenges.
1: Oh, I'm sure there will be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 18 month old kid, uh, he was a challenge as well, and still is. He he's a joy, but raising kids and trying oh, to yeah. make time for them and, and the wife, that's been also been a big challenge. Um, but super important. So
0: that one has to oh, that one is, has to take priority. It it does. You have to have that balance. You have to have time for for family. Yeah. Now you mentioned. Uh, the use you're getting this fall and and maybe in um, decreasing your cattle numbers to allow you to run more sheep along with that what do you see for the future of your farm um
1: right now we're, we're okay with being a, a farm that's 100 percent leased ground um it's working well we, we've got a, a large enough land base in the area that um we, we kind of have the idea of of Bringing our sheep numbers up um, to maybe two-thirds of our capacity and maybe the cattle being at one-third. But being in the leased business, uh, you're always worried about, well, what if they sell this ground or what if I lose my lease? So I I think right now we're just going to expand as much as we can on this leased ground and then as we can afford it, and as we get time and money, um, try to try to start buying some of this ground. Um, it'll be years away. We've got a long way to go before we're at that point. But we would love to. I would love to be able to, to own a piece of this ground someday and have something that I can hand down to, to my son. If if he wants to take over the farm, that that would be basically my dream um so that's oh yes that's yes. kind of the the way long-term future but yeah just trying to balance I, I guess balancing the sheep and the cattle thing and then balancing you know the family and and the workload um i, I want to have a future that's enjoyable and and, and not just work um so we, right. we've got a lot of figuring out to do there but um yeah we the sheep i think are going to be a big part of our future and we're really enjoying them so the sheep and the dogs the dogs are like i said a ton of fun so
0: (laughs) very good very good austin we've reached the point in our podcast for our overgrazing section it's where we take a deep dive into one of your practices what are we going to take a deep dive into today
1: well, I I kept thinking about this question, and what are, everything that I thought of came down to was just what a low-input farmer or a low-input business actually means for us. Um, so that's where I would like to go,
0: if that's all right with you. That sounds like a great topic.
1: Okay, well, um, up in January, I went to the Ranching for Profit School and uh, kind of learned a—well, I learned a ton there. Um, it was an awesome school. But— I broke this section down into three categories, um, and they they kind of explain this there as your business is a three-legged pot, and the three legs are land, production, and money. I kind of took this into the low input version for those three, and for us, oh the, yes, the low input in, in regards to the land was just um, it was just leasing it versus buying it. Um, I always, when I was little, my dad used to say, Austin, if there's any way you can be a, a farmer or a rancher and make a living do it and I think growing up I had this idea that I had to buy this ground and I had to put cows on it and make those cows make payments on the land and provide for my family and working for these two other ranches just totally opened my eyes to the opportunity of leasing ground and you don't have to buy it um, to be to still have the same lifestyle so for us the low input means means leasing it versus buying it and then Production wise, I think there's a lot of people that overbuild their fences and it all depends on every, you know, it's different for everybody, but for us, um, we can get away with some pretty low input fences. Um, We've, I mean, like I said, we're keeping sheep with one wire as perimeter fence right now in certain areas. And I, I did the math here. And when we use fiberglass posts, we can build perimeter fence. If it's one strand, it's, it's nine cents a foot. And if it's Two strands, which would keep our cows and our sheep um, probably a little better than a single strand. Um, It's only fifteen cents a foot, Um, and I think there's a lot of people. And it depends on how you're managing and stuff like that. But I think there's a lot of overbuilt fences in this in this area. And uh, I I remember one time I had Ian Mitchell Ennis come out here, and he helped me kind of set some stuff up, and um, just drove him around and took so he had he took a look at the place here. And he said something and I'll never forget. He said, use your head, not your pocketbook. And it's just a simple saying, but that has stuck with me through so much. And that's, to me, that's our fences. We, we just, oh yes, we build it and we try it and we keep it low cost. And if it doesn't work, then we can improve it. So that's kind of where we came in, you know, from the low input point of view from our production. And as far as livestock goes, something that I struggled with and I wish I could do over now um, was, I had this idea that i had to go save up money and buy these cows and and or get a loan for them and there's a ton of opportunity here for custom grazing and i wish i would have known that earlier because you don't have to have a ton of capital you can use other people's money and run stalker calves or even run cow calf pairs for other people and let them pay for them um and you you know you can still be a low import producer who doesn't have a lot of money especially getting started and i wish i had figured that out sooner because it would it would have been a lot easier for us versus taking out loans and, and, make, and making interest payments and stuff like that. So that's kind of just my point of view as far as for overgrazing. I, I, low input to us means means uh, it's basically our entire operation. It's, it's more than just not having a piece of equipment. It's, it's a mindset in everything we do from equipment to our fences to um, how much money we have to tie up in a working capital. We just try to be smart and, and stay as low input as we possibly can.
0: I think you make some excellent points there. And just to add to what you were saying there, um, custom grazing was not something I uh, had ever thought about. And and while I, I've never done it, reading Greg Judy's book, uh, I don't know if it's talked about in both of them, um, No Risk Ranching, I think is the last one I read. Yeah. And it talks about it. And, and before I had read that book, That had never crossed my mind yeah me too Um, that way with lease land even if you don't have anything if if you've got the motivation and drive to get out there and find lease land and like you said it took you a number of years for me here um, I'm running cattle and sheep with my dad Um, finding lease land for my own took way longer than I ever expected it to in fact I'm in a constant hunt for more lease land, but you just got to get out there and get started. Yeah, that's
1: right. I, I, my wife always just says, you know, you, you just need a little bit of work ethic and, and it'll go a long way. You can find the rest of it out there and just, you know, just go and do it and put yourself out there and opportunity will find you.
0: Yes. Yeah. You, you create those opportunities for the opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. Austin, I really like that deep dive into low inputs and, and were earlier conversation on low inputs let's go ahead and move on to our famous four they're the same four questions we ask of all of our guests i don't know if we'll ever get tired of these questions. <laughs> i i don't i enjoy them but <laughs> our first question what's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource
1: um for me that would be the the book it's called the turnaround by dave pratt um, it's, uh, it's, if you go to the ranching for profit school, they send it to you before you go and you're supposed to read it, uh, before you go to the school. And just the way that that book explains the economics and the business side of the grazing world and, and the, the cattle or the, the ranching industry, uh, was extremely eye-opening to me. And uh, I would highly recommend it if, if anybody out there has not read it.
0: I, I always love it on these, um, books. I'm a avid reader, and I'm an avid book buyer. That's a big problem I have. But this book, um, I didn't know about it. I'm going to have to get this book. It's too.
1: phenomenal. It's one of my favorites. I, I burned out a couple of highlighters going through it, and uh, all the pages are ear-tagged. And, yeah, there's a lot of good information in it.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Amazon's made this too easy. I want to support my local booksellers, but I um, often, like, I've already got it in my car. Oh, the there Amazon, you go. So.
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Our second question: What tool could you not live without on your farm?
1: Uh, for me, as soon as I read this question, I said it's Onyx Maps on my computer. Um, for trying to find lease ground and find track down landowners and draw fences and estimate how many feet of fence you need, it, it's I spend. There's not a day that goes by I'm not on Onyx looking at something. Uh, it's from even from planning water lines and you can you can estimate how many feet of pipe you need and where you want your water troughs and you can look at topo maps It's it's I can't explain to you how valuable OnX is to, for our
0: operation I I probably their most used client out there. I'm on it all the time I I don't know. I'm I'm surprised We hadn't talked about this before and, and it kind of surprises me You say that I use OnX all the time because I'm all the time driving by land. I'm like, oh wait, that's a potential land for lease.
1: I, I do the same thing. I, I got to pull over off the road sometimes because I shouldn't be looking at it while I'm driving. I'm trying to get cell phone service and track the landowner down. And I, yeah, every time I drive right, by right. a farm, I pull up my Onyx. Who owns that? Right, yeah,
0: right. My wife gets on to me at times because really, again? <laughs> right, me too. Hey. I, I get
1: <laughs> I get punched in the shoulder sometimes. Keep your eyes on the road.
0: <laughs> oh Yeah, our third question what would you tell someone just getting started on this journey? Um, the 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 thing I wish I had done, um, or somebody
1: would have told me, was I wish I would have gone to that ranching for profit school before I went on my own. Um, our operation would look a lot different than it does now. Oh yes, um, the, the school is really really powerful, um, and I'm not getting paid by them. I promise. Uh, I'm just a big fan. <laughs> And then after the school, they have a program called Executive Link, um, and it's it's an awesome program. I just joined it and had a meeting um, with a bunch of different ranchers for it. And it's the networking you meet there and the connections you make, it's absolutely crucial for, for setting up an operation. Even if you're just starting out and you don't have a bunch of stuff, I would still go to the school before you before you really dive in. And, and you can learn the business and the economics and how to do gross margins and stuff like that. Before you start, that would have it would have saved me a ton of money if I had done this stuff oh, yes. when I first got into this versus doing it, you know, three years in on my own.
0: Um, yeah, that that would have been awesome if I could redo that. Oh, very good. And lastly, Austin, where can others find out more about you?
1: Uh, I'm not big on social media. If, if that was up to me, um, I wouldn't have one. <laughs> but just because <laughs> of the the marketing you can do on there, we do have a, an Instagram. Um, it's Crossroads Land and Livestock just one word and then we also have a website it's crossroadslandandlivestock.com
0: um, and we have quite a bit of information on there my phone number and my email is on there as well very good austin we'll we'll make sure we have those links in our show notes we appreciate you coming on to the podcast and sharing about your journey and what you're doing there at crossroads i really hey, enjoyed it i appreciate you having me on it's been a pleasure and i, I thank you i hope you've enjoyed this conversation with austin I think he brought up lots of valid points, and he is a big fan of the Ranching for Profit School. As always, thank you for listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. Be sure to share this episode, leave us a review, and subscribe. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And Until next time, keep on grazing grass.